I am thrilled to have in studio with me today uh, uh, Tim Jackson. You are the, the top guy over at the Colorado Automobile Dealers Association. So welcome. Well, glad to be here, Kim, and on with uh, Lauren and um, with all her expertise in automotive and and uh, and the, re- the new restrictions that are being placed on drivers and car owners and making it more difficult uh, to buy a car, to own a car, to dr- and especially to drive a car and park a car in the, our big cities. So let's well, talk about it. Well, we will, and it's great to have you here. And, and on the line we have with us the car coach, Lauren Fix. Uh, you've probably seen her on TV. She's, she's in a lot of different publications. And, Lauren, it is just really great to have you on the line with us. Well, thank you. You know, Tim and Lauren, uh, I really believe that freedom of mobility, where people are able to go where they want to, when they want to, the freedom of the automobile deal or the automobile has been so important for everyday people to thrive and prosper. And uh, there's a bunch of crazy stuff that's going on out there. And it gets worse and worse. And I've seen some of Lauren's videos that she has out on, on this. And so um, we are kindred spirits on the on this issue. Um, Local and state and federal governments are making it more and more difficult for people to buy the car and vehicle of their choice, and but also to uh, drive it where they need to drive it, to park it where they need to park it, and to um, to use it the way they want or need to as far as uh, their family and, and, uh, and uh, their freedom of choice. So those freedoms of choice are being limited. And right here in Colorado, um, some of the... Uh, let's say segments of the public and, and interest groups are starting to weigh in on this. And, um, you know, in, in a way they're, you could say they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore because the city of Denver has taken lanes away, as you know, mm-hmm. um, in neighborhoods and uh, on main thoroughfares. And Lauren, uh, one of our main arteries out of Denver is uh, South Broadway and uh, South Broadway mm-hmm. is a, uh, is six lanes. It was six lanes southbound and uh, to the main artery of I-25, and then people would get on. It's a main artery for commute to the downtown and to the south metro area. And two of those six lanes have been taken away from from, uh, passenger cars and light-duty trucks and given given over to, if you will, uh, bicycles on the left and bus rapid transit on the right. And uh, you could stand with me or... We could go down there at any given time during a rush hour, and 99% of the commuters are doing are, are exercising their freedom of choice, and they're opting to be in a personal, right. privately owned car or light duty truck. And um, but yet they're being compressed now into four lanes. I talked to a city council person, a good guy, Jolan Clark, who represents that part of Denver and who was an advocate for taking these lanes away uh, from commuters. And he said, Tim, by the way, some of these uh, policy officials are hypocritical. You know, they they will uh, they want to make it hard for everybody else to drive their car, but they still drive their own. And uh, but but at least Jolan Clark, he rides a bicycle from his from his home to his city council office every day. And so God bless him. He he practices what he preaches. But I said, Jolan, have you ever anticipated how much time you're taking away or let's say adding on uh, for the commutes for these people in their cars? And he says, yeah, Tim, we've done a study on it and it's only seven minutes per vehicle. Well, first, I I mean, I'm sorry, uh, let me. Roll that back seven seconds per vehicle, and I said, Jolan, if you count the tens of thousands of cars going through there daily, you've added literally days or weeks onto the commutes. 
you know, every day. Well, and Lauren, Tim mentioned something, and that is uh, compressing these lanes on these main arteries. But yet, I served mm-hmm. on city council uh, for my community, and so I kind of had a front row seat to what what this all this policy that was going on. And you see pl- politicians and pundits wring their hands about congestion, and they have these these uh, ideas about. Uh, um, you know, how to get rid of congestion. And of course, it normally it means regular everyday people getting out of their cars. But yet they're doing these policies that are creating congestion. Can you address that? Sure. It, what you're talking about is what is officially known in the world of government and automotive as road diet. They have decided <laughs> that if they limit the roads, then people will use mass transit or bicycles. Well, let's just start here with this part. And this is a factor that is not being considered. If bicycles are using a full lane of road, they need to start paying road tax. Our road taxes that we pay in every single thing you buy, including gasoline, is supposed to go into the roads and bridges for vehicles. That does not include bicycles. If bicycles want a piece of the roadway, then they better start paying taxes on the roadway, and that's based on a mileage basis. Now, if you think everyone's going to go to mass transit, it doesn't work because it doesn't get everyone to their destination, especially if you've got little children, you have someone that's disabled, you've got to haul things with you. It does not work on a bus. And with the same problem in New York City, with the same problem in my little borough of Clarence, New York, I've spent much time talking to the town councilman, explaining to them that all you're doing is restricting the lanes. In our case, we went from a four-lane to a two-lane and the center turn lane, and the outside lanes became bicycle lanes. And everybody's upset about it. In the city of Costa Mesa, they've actually reversed it because of the fact that it was so frustrating to people and no one uses the bike lanes. And in this case, even where I live, no one's using the bike lanes but one person. Go out there and do a study yourself. You're not going to force people to use bicycles, especially in cold climates like Colorado mm-hmm. or New York. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned road diet, and I heard that term when I was on city council. And once again, I thought about it, and I'm like, it's not road diet. It's road starvation is what it is for everyday hardworking yeah. people. And uh, I come over to the station typically quite early. It has been cold in Colorado. Um, what about that global warming? Uh, but, you know, at yeah. uh, 4.35, 5.15 in the morning, I would not want to be standing out on a uh, waiting for a train or waiting for a bus. A, it's cold. B, I have to be waiting. And C, just there's a safety factor. I feel much safer in my own personal vehicle than I would be standing out waiting for a uh, a bus or uh, a train. Steve, or uh, excuse me, uh, Tim, could you address that? Well, no, it's really, um, it's consumer choice, right? And both in the, how they want to tra- travel and what work, works best for them to get where they're going, but also the type of vehicle that they want or need in and, and doing so and governments are trying to be restrictive on both and uh, they're doing the the type of vehicle they're restricting uh, some states are opting for the California emission standards which are designed to move people out of the vehicle that they want or need into something that they um, can't make work and uh, ultimately if they'd move them completely out of a car it'd be fine with some of the policymakers. but but they're wanting to as as lauren said and it's a good way to put it they want to put them on a car diet and um, if it's get them completely uh, weaned off of the car that's even better for the policy uh, gurus 
But Lauren, what I see is that there is a lot of really hypocritical actions there because uh, I had had uh, heard through the grapevine that there was a meeting of pol- um, politicians and pundits and bureaucrats uh, talking about trying to get people to move more into uh, trains, primarily trains. And so somebody at the table said, mm-hmm. now, who have you used the train to get here? Not one person. And the quote that I heard was right. one of the policymakers said, well, that's not for us. That's for everybody else. I mean, said that, if you can uh, believe it. The elitist attitude that will bite these people. I really, that really infuriates me, this elitist attitude. I have a private car service because I'm a government elected official, such as Mayor de Blasio in New York City. He says we're reducing the lanes for safety. They lower the speed. They slow down everyone. It causes more congestion. We limit the lanes. We put in bus lanes. And when he needs to get someplace, they, of course, have escorts of Suburbans, which take up, use a lot of gas. It's not green whatsoever, flying through the lanes with four other vehicles supporting them and police vehicles, and we all have to stop. So it's okay for him, but not okay for us. These people don't even pay for their cars. We make car payments. We pay for our insurance. We pay for our gas, and we pay to maintain our vehicles. But they don't get that because we're paying their bill. Well, you got it. We're talking with Lauren Fix. She is the car coach and also with Tim Jackson. He is the uh, executive director over at the Colorado Automobile Dealers Association. This is Kim Munson with the Americhicks. We're going to go to break. When we come back, this is really, I think, a freedom and force question. So let's bite that off. We'll be right back. We need to have conversations, and I am so excited to have a conversation about the freedom to drive. In studio with me is the executive director of the Colorado Automobile Dealers Association, Tim Jackson. And on the line is the car coach, Lauren Fix. And uh, I believe freedom of mobility is inherently important so that everyday people can thrive and prosper. So, Tim, you're starting something or involved with something called Freedom to Drive. Tell us a bit about that. Sure. Well, I firmly believe that if there's going to be um, any um, extensive focus on a problem, you have to bring people together and, and uh, communicate the, the issue, formulate strategy, and activate a plan. And that's the um, that's the idea on freedom to drive. It's it's a broadly based, uh, very new right now, but broadly based coalition that includes agricultural groups, uh, car owner enthusiasts, um, the automotive industry, and uh, uh, consumers who rely on cars, as well as uh, trucking companies um, in rural based um, organizations, because the rural areas need cars and longer range driving even more so than metro area. Right, so uh, they're they're the ones that are handicapped if, if um, state governments say uh, somebody has to be in a certain type of vehicle. They're the ones that are handicapped by paying a higher price for the vehicles they want or need um, or going into something that doesn't work for them. That's, the, that's the, um, basically the Hobson's choice, which is no choice at all. Well, and Lauren, uh, you obviously have a real heart for uh, automobile, automobiles and for people to have the freedom to go where they want to, when they want to. What would, how would you address this whole freedom force? Uh, we're kind of dancing around it, but it really is, I think, the question on whether or not everyday hardworking people have the freedom to choose the vehicle that they want to drive that works best for them and their families, or if we're going to be using government force elites that are going to be trying to push people into vehicles they don't want, or maybe even push uh, people totally out of their vehicles. Uh, What are you seeing? What would your comments be on that? 
Well, I know there's a war on cars with the federal government. If they had their choice, they'd all be autonomous and electric, and they'd be able to control every road and bridge and wherever you go. And I'm not about to limit myself. And I think as Americans, we don't like to limit ourselves. That's why choices are important. And we've always had those choices. You can drive a motorcycle. You can ride a bicycle. You can take mass transit. You don't even have to own a vehicle if you don't want to. But telling us what we have to buy by forcing us to purchase electric cars by either making combustion engines or diesel vehicles more expensive or harder to access by using government regulations is the problem. And they're doing that by limiting the roadways, offering government incentives up to $7,500 for some brands to get discounts. You should not have to incentivize something people want. (laughs) You don't see them incentivizing the purchase of combustion engines, of SUVs, of sports cars. You could incentivize me to buy a Porsche. Sure, I'll absolutely buy it. But the fact is those incentives are not there. They're there from dealers. They're there from manufacturers, but they're not there from the federal government. And if they had their choice, they like the electric vehicles. There are a lot of problems with some of the options. With electric vehicles, we have a problem with infrastructure. There's no supercharging stations enough for anyone. I just test drove an all-electric vehicle in in California, the the number one state for electric vehicles, of which Colorado is now accepting all of their regulations, which is going to cost consumers a lot of money, whether you buy into it or not. And there, there are charging stations, but they're always full. And when you go to six different charging stations, which I did, and waited at each one for a period of time and there was no opening, this is going to create a supply and demand issue. That doesn't mean you're going to produce tons more charging stations because companies can't afford to just put in charging stations, especially if they're manufacturing and they're using 440 in order to produce product. They're not going to let their employees plug in because then they're not producing product. So we have to start looking at some reality here that the only true answer is a mixture of letting you drive what you want, that freedom to say, I want a a gas and I want to go to the gas station to fill up, or I want diesel, which I personally like, because you get longer distances between Philip and better fuel economy. Maybe you want hydrogen, which they offer in uh, California, that powers a fuel cell vehicle, a battery cell vehicle. So, I mean, there are lots of options available, and there are some we haven't even seen, like compressed natural gas, which is being used by a lot of um, different utilities, which is a good answer as well. But limiting and forcing people to do things by restricting lanes, restricting your driving choices and incentivizing choices that not all of us want, but we all pay into that is a problem because even the poorest of us are paying into this $7,500 tax credit with our tax dollars. And that money could be used to repair roads instead of reducing them, repair them and get rid of those darn potholes. And I believe me, I've been all over the country. I was just in California this week, and I will tell you, there's potholes the size of to absorb a Mini Cooper. So these need to be repaired, and that's where the focus really needs to be. And if bicycles want to use the road, pay taxes toward repairing them. You, uh, your points are well taken on all of those, uh, Lauren, and, and I'll do an attaboy with you. Um, and just to localize it here, the $7,500 federal tax credit on a lot of these EVs, really on all of them except it's going away um, based on automaker after a certain volume. But in Colorado, there's another. We've got the most generous incentive for EVs and and, uh, and, and alternative vehicles in the country at $5,000 a copy. So somebody buying a a copy in that's industry term for each each unit each vehicle, um, so that's twelve thousand five hundred uh, between federal and state incentive on some of these, and yet 
Mm-hmm. Even And that's been in place, by the way. The federal incentive, as you know, has been in place since 2011. The state incentive here in Colorado has been in place since before 2011. And yet the battery electrics only really started hitting, uh, making availability in 2011. And so during the time period between 2011 and now, Lauren, the... Um, the BEV and the PHEV, that's plug-in hybrid electric, have grown from 0%, let's call it 0 in 2011, to 3% at the end of 2017 and even first quarter 2018. And mm-hmm. at, during that, and with $12,500 on the hood of each of those cars is an incentive. Yet the pickups, vans, and SUVs, or the light-duty truck category, has grown during during that same time period in Colorado from 58% of the market to 75% of the market. So it's grown by 17%. And being, you could say, definitely not incentivized, but you could say disincentivized because the the incentive's on somebody else's car, not yours. And yet c- consumers are still making those choices and they're buying, the, buying into the light-duty trucks versus the battery electric vehicles. Well, and, and Lauren, I find this really, I find this uh, a subject of fairness. How is it fair that somebody would have a tax liability of $12,500, probably more, but that they get to reduce their tax liability by $12,500 because uh, they buy a specific vehicle? Everybody else still has to pay their taxes, but they're getting this break. Right. And I think that there's that's inherently unfair. And the other thing, I went down and testified at the hearing hearing regarding uh, Senator John Cook here in Colorado had put forth uh, some legislation that would say that we would not adhere to the Colorado or the California standards, but in fact that, that Colorado would follow the federal uh, standards. And uh, that particular bill lost, uh, and it was a straight party line vote. The Democrats uh, killed it. And what I, I think is you know, so important is to understand that, that this is inherently unfair that these people get to have a break on their taxes. And anyway, what had happened is some of the, the other folks that were testifying in, in favor of killing this particular piece of legislation talked about how much money they were saving with their electric vehicle. And I wanted to say, well, of course, because you're not having to pay your taxes. You know, everybody else is subsidizing your vehicle and uh, you're, you're mm-hmm. not having to pay for road taxes. And I thought, well, of right. course, you know, uh, and it just doesn't seem fair. What do you think? Well, I agree. I, I think the big thing is with these electric cars that don't use any gasoline at all, they're not paying into the road tax at all. Zero. And so when you're looking at this, but they want to use the roads, anything in this planet that you want to use, you definitely have to pay a piece of the pie. And so, again, that's only fair. The roads for free. <laughs> yeah, right. And hybrid car, plug-in battery cars are, you, are using the roads for free. This is a big problem. And so I think we all need to stand up and say something, and you can't let this just happen to you. Because once this gets into legislation and it happens, it's very difficult to undo it. And so that's why you need to stand up and tell your, if you want to be reelected, you want my vote, I'm going to ask that you somehow start charging all the bicycles by the mile. I don't care how you figure it out. You can give them a flat fee per year and make sure it's high enough to support the road work. And, and same thing it should be true with Anything that's a, a plug-in vehicle that doesn't use gasoline, you're going to charge you by the mile. They're doing it in Oregon. They're doing it in, in the state of Washington. They should be doing it in the state of Colorado as well. Unless, of course, then they might change your mind about buying a plug-in vehicle. Maybe you'll think, well, now you're going to charge me. Well, I want an HOV sticker, too. That's what they're doing in California. 
Okay, Tim, Speaking of California, and I want to, um, that's a good segue to take it back to California because they don't have as rich an incentive as Colorado on the EVs, but they do offer the EV drivers the HOV lanes for free, free parking downtown, free charging at your parking station. So, so they're really the economics completely get, get totally skewed when you put so many governmental incentives, um, moving people to these cars and then those cars as lauren is accurately and and effectively stated are not paying their own way for the roads so we've got to defend um as you know here in colorado kim cdot is underfunded by based on the road projects that they need to do and that we need we need them to do by nine billion dollars and yet cdot is now putting in the charging stations along the road figure. for the VW, the VW settlement and to try to move people to newer, cleaner, green electric vehicles. Well, God bless them. But how are you going to pay for the road, CDOT? And, and that's Colorado right. Department of Transportation in, uh, in acronym here in Colorado. So uh, locally known as CDOT, but it's Colorado Department of Transportation. So uh, Lauren's got an excellent point on this. In California, these economics are totally skewed when it comes to um, vehicle choice. And uh, it's not sustainable. Talk, for all the talk about sustainability, it's not sustainable to incentivize people to buy a certain type of car that won't pay for the roads that they will go out and drive them on. Am I right? Do I hear an amen, Lauren? Yeah. Okay, well, we're yeah, going to go. Amen. Yes, you get an amen. <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, this is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks. We are talking with Tim Jackson with the Colorado Automobile Dealers Association and Lauren Fix, the car coach. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back. Thrilled to have on the line with us Lauren Fix. Uh, she is the car coach. Uh, you see her on TV. She writes for a lot of different publications, so it's great to have you here, Lauren. And also in studio with me is Tim Jackson. He is uh, the top guy over at the Colorado Automobile Dealers Association. Uh, this is our last segment. And, Lauren, I've got a question for you. You said you were out in California, and you were driving mm-hmm. an electric vehicle, and you needed to charge it. How long did it take you to charge that vehicle? Well, that was the problem. I went around looking for a charge point station because the vehicle I had had a charge point card because we were reviewing the car. And I found the first station. It wasn't too far. There were six charging banks, and there was someone in every spot. So I waited. No one came out. I cleaned out my email. I thought, well, I'll find another one. Obviously, somebody's doing something, and they're not coming out. Found another one. Did the same thing. And you play a game of Candy Crush and a couple phone calls. Still no one's there. And I'm watching the battery reduce in life thinking all right I, I wasn't in a desperate mode but i will be if i keep doing this and i went to six different stations and there was not one open spot and so when i finally got to the hotel i told the doorman i said i, I don't know we were there for a different drive event and i said uh, do you have a charging station here at this hotel and it was a really nice high-end hotel and he said no we do not i said is there one nearby he said you have to get online and look like, they don't even want to get involved because it costs them too much money to put in a charging station so eventually uh, I was able to make it back to the airport, but that told me I don't want that range anxiety. I don't want that anxiety at all. And, and, and the problem still relies in Palo Alto. I have a very good friend who does analysis for the industry, for the electric car industry, and he said at one point in Palo Alto, they said you can park in this parking garage for free, and it would be stuffed with electric cars all the time. People would park the car there, walk home, or take an Uber, whatever it was, and they'd get home, or they'd go to work and leave the car there. As soon as the city of Palo Alto realized the total expense 
of offering free charging stations, they stopped offering it for free. And now he said you'd, you'd go by every morning. It was really funny. He would take a picture with his phone of a totally empty parking garage and text it to me every morning going, yep, no one's using it because if it isn't free, no one wants it. Because if you look at the numbers, the average person that owns either a Tesla or a high-end plug-in electric car, which is pretty much, they're not cheap, let's just face it, compared to the gasoline versions, they're more expensive. Uh, people that own them typically, about 80% or more, are people that make over a quarter million dollars a year. Wow. And so that was not the idea of the incentive. It was meant for the average guy to buy a new car. But if you own a 12-year-old car, there's a reason you own a 12-year-old car, because you can't afford a new car or you go buy a new car. Right. Whether there's an incentive or not. Tim, what do you the think? The insurance costs more, the maintenance costs more, and everything has maintenance. I don't care what anybody says. Even electric vehicles have maintenance. You still have tires and moving parts. Well, and on the point of maintenance, because I've had this discussion with a lot of let's say, EV enthusiasts, and they say, you know, mm-hmm. well, the reason you don't like electric cars is because uh, you don't, you won't be able to service them. No, that's not it at all. They're, they still do need service. Yeah. And if you don't believe they need service, check any Tesla service center on how long it will take to get a Tesla in there, and it's usually six oh. to eight weeks. And the people are furious, yeah, and they can't get complaints. their cars fixed. Oh. And uh, that's why their that's Consumer that. Reports <laughs> rating has dropped, and you're probably aware of that. Lauren, well, and I was just going to say that you're in the same page. That was exactly it dropped from top until they got feedback from consumers and owners, whether it be a Model S, a Model X or a Model 3. And they were all complaining about service, parts and customer service. Overall, they couldn't get any support. And then the fit and finish and the build quality. And if you buy if you bought, I don't know, a Ford, for example, or any brand a Toyota, whatever it might be. And you had those fit, finish and service problems. Oh, don't worry. It would be all over the news. Right. He's not considered a dealership. There's no protection for the consumer when you buy something outside a dealership network. Right. And I want to go back and just clarify something because we were talking about this and you were accused, Tim, of not liking electric vehicles by this enthusiast. And in our conversations, you're actually more agnostic, I would say, that uh, regarding vehicles. I think that you really want people to be able to, to drive the vehicle that they want. Right. And and just to make people aware of vehicles, we've we've done a green car parade at the Colorado Capitol for 12 years. We do it on the Sunday before the auto show. It's really uh, an earned media event ahead of the auto show. We've taken a green car convoy and a Colorado car convoy all over the state where we let uh, new car enthusiasts and dealers and, and the industry and, and the public come together in the media um, in 12 different events ahead of the Denver auto show. Uh, and again, it's a, it's a, it's a wake-up call that the auto show is about to open so you can get down and see all the cars but here's a snapshot of what you can see so we're not we're not anti ev at all but there has to be some kind of a level playing field on um on what consumers want and need and you can't push consumers uh there there needs to be more consumer pull instead of industry and and especially governmental push into these type cars because eventually I think and and love to hear from Lauren on this I think the technology will improve the charging station and networks will 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 grow and 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 the ranges will get longer and extend and they may be a solution for consumers in 10 15 20 years maybe even in 8 or 10 years but but they're not today for everybody and and right now it's really not the, j- the job of government to be uh, the car selector for consumers. That's the job of somebody like Lauren Fix, you know, the car coach. She get, gives yeah. you the info. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one other thing uh, before the time runs out that, uh, that we haven't, 
covered here on this freedom, the whole freedom to drive issue, and that is local governments taking parking spots away, either taking parking spots away or allowing new construction. And mm-hmm. I'm going to localize this again, Lauren, just so you can tell what's happening mm-hmm. on the local scene out here. In December tw- uh, 20, 2005, a new Hyatt Regency opened across from the Colorado Convention Center, largest hotel in Colorado, 1,100 guest rooms, 1,000 parking spots. Four years ago, by contrast, about 11 years later, four years ago, a new Hyatt Place and Hyatt House, two brands under one roof, 400 guest rooms, and only 137 parking spots, so about one parking spot for, uh, for every three rooms. Well, it gets worse. Mm-hmm. Last year, the... City of Denver allowed a brand new hotel. It's the AC and La Meridian Hotel right across from the convention center and across from the Hyatt Regency that has all these parking spots. Built and opened a brand new hotel, two hotels under one brand, La Meridian and AC Hotel, 500 guest rooms. And Lauren, you have to be sitting down for this zero parking spots. Zero parking spots. Oh, wow. They, they still have a valet lane, so you go through the valet lane on, on 15th if you're going to AC or on um, California if you're going to the Mer- Meridian, but they literally drive your car, they charge you whatever, the 59 or 69 probably $69 for valet. They drive it across the street and put it in the self-parking in the Hyatt and... Uh, you know, pocket the difference. Well, nothing against capitalism, but it's compressing the parking in downtown Denver. Denver's also allowing right. construction of multifamily housing where they've built a new uh, place called the Economist at 16th and Humboldt. You're not expected to know that address, Lauren, but it's about I a block. I do actually know that area because I, I know I've been to Denver many, many times. Yeah, I used to live about a block from there, and I can tell you. 10 to 15 years ago, the parking was pretty tight down there, but it's even more tight now because they built 240 mm-hmm. units, micro units of 350 square feet. Think of a hotel room size apartment, but zero parking spots. Zero. Not even for the manager wow. is there a parking spot. There's not even one for the moving truck to move in. But part of the problem is, and Kim Munson saw this at the Capitol last week when uh, Senate Bill 053 was heard, and that is that these activists wanting people to move to these clean green driving machines and nothing wrong with an EV if it makes if it, if it works for you but they come down and testify against the bill that would that would have uh, prohibited the California emission standard. Then a, a smart state senator from Alamosa, Colorado said, well, can you tell us if you're advocating for these EVs, you're probably driving an EV. Three people at the stand in a row. No, I don't mm-hmm. have an EV myself. In fact, I don't even have a car. The next one, no, I don't have an EV myself. I don't even have a car. And the third one says, well, I want to buy an EV, and I'm waiting on the plug-in hybrid uh, Subaru Crosstrek. But no, I don't have an EV or a plug-in yeah, hybrid right. now. Yeah. So they're really hypocritical. They want other people. It's like the, the the drivers that want to build light rail, not so they'll ride the light rail, but so somebody else will. So they'll open up the lanes for them. Hypocritical. So, hey, well, Lauren Fix, well, this, this is true in the industry as a whole anyhow and it's a big problem and just so you know and i just want to pop i know you're tight on time important to note the cost of batteries is only going higher because of the rare earth minerals that are in them and the fact that they're not recyclable so they're actually not a greener choice because less than 84 percent of that vehicle is recyclable we're looking at new combustion engine vehicles and it's 99 percent recyclable so why these green people only state the facts that they want they miss a lot of the other facts that actually put a huge hole in their story. Wow. Okay. Well, Lauren Fix, again, how can people find you? 
You can uh, reach me at my website, which is carcoachreports.com, or follow me on all forms of social media at Lauren Fix. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, Tim Jackson, uh, final thoughts. You know, it's it's an honor to be on here with you, Lauren. When you get to Denver the next time, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or drinks are on me. And Kim's invited, too, and and, uh, Steve from the show here, and and David, and whoever wants to come. Because um, we'd like to extend this conversation. And just be on record, uh, let us be on record, Lauren, that I've watched your videos, and I think you're preaching the gospel that that we're uh, seeing and believing here in Colorado as well. And uh, I think this freedom to drive, we've kept Colorado out of the name because this could grow to a national movement and we wanted you to know, be aware of it and know about it. Okay, so thank I'd you. I'd love to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tim Jackson. Thank you so much, Lauren Fix. And uh, Freedom of Mobility lets everyday people go after their hopes and dreams.